Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz, and you are my People of the Book. And it's great to be back with you. And today we're going to be talking about books versus movies. Very controversial topic. Is the movie ever as good as the book? Is the book as good as the movie? Do people who love the books go and see the movie adaptations? It's often a major argument between people. It can boost a conversation. It can destroy friendships. It can cause major arguments, but it's always a great topic for conversation. And and throughout time immemorial, um, books and topics of books, themes of books have been used to create films. And what actually makes a good film adaptation of a book? Is it the actors? Is it the way that the story is recreated? Does it need to be as close to type as possible? Does it need to be exactly like the story in the book? Or should the book just be used as a theme um, and should it be loosely adapted? Should should you read the book first? Should you watch the film first? Should it be on the screen or on the page? Often a uh, film tends to boost the remarketing of a book because um, all the marketing around the film tends to recreate the book. And you'll often see that there's a brand new book that comes out around the film, new covers, new everything relating to the film, and it becomes more about the movie than about the actual book. So books make for better and easier managing of storytelling, and there's so much less to manage when you're talking about a book as related to a film. When you're writing a book, you don't have to worry about the logistics, you know, as opposed to creating a movie. You don't have to worry about the lighting, the difficult actors, the difficult performers, there's no financial issues, producer demands, you're not meeting or or juggling those weather worries, filming schedules, there's none of that. But books, as I said, always seem to be the best vehicles for making movies. And why is that? They are quite simply the greatest storytelling technology ever invented. They have the least friction between imagination and expression. And they might, movies, while they might be the most immersive way to experience a story, they are still the most inferior vehicles for creating the actual story and the imagination. So don't shoot me down for saying that. That is the reality. The story comes first and the writing comes first. So that story was created first before the film and before all the imaging. The story came first. Let's look at some of the best. Well, I mean, there are so many. I mean, where do I even start? So I've narrowed it down as best as I could. And I've taken some really well-known films of recent years 
and I've looked at adaptations of well-known, well-loved, and really well-done books that have been adapted into film versions. Most of them you've probably heard of. Many of them you've probably seen. I'll look at most of them. We'll look at the, the well-done adaptations. I'll take a look at a couple that weren't so well done. And then hopefully I'll have some time to let you know of a couple of adaptations to look out for that are coming out still later this year and a couple that will be coming out next year. Some will hit the big screen. Some will be hitting our small screens, um, probably on Netflix. Uh, some were meant to come out earlier this year or still this year. They've been delayed due to the pandemic. Hopefully, I will get the chance towards the end of the show to let you know what to look out for. So, firstly, let's look at one of the best-known films of recent years, The Silence of the Lambs came out in 1991. It's an American psychological horror film directed by Jonathan Demme. Uh, the actual script was written by Ted Talley, and it was adapted from Thomas Harris's 1988 novel. It starred Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling, who was a young FBI trainee hunting a serial killer by the name of Buffalo Bill, who quite horrifically skins his female victims. So to, to catch him, she seeks the advice of imprisoned Dr. Hannibal Lecter, chillingly played by Anthony Hopkins. He himself playing the character of a brilliant psychiatrist and a cannibalistic serial killer. It was released um, February 14th, uh, Valentine's Day. How strange. 1991. It had a budget of $19 million, and at the time, that probably seems quite large. I mean, nowadays, $19 million is actually quite a small budget. It grossed $272.7 million worldwide. So on that $19 million budget, that is a huge, huge success. And it's regularly cited by critics and film directors and audiences as one of the greatest and most influential films and it's actually considered to be culturally historically and aesthetic aesthetically significant and i mean there are scenes there once you've seen them they will stay in your mind um forever especially that that line when anthony hopkins chillingly tells clarice that he's having a friend for dinner so, and that, that's one of the most memorable lines from the film and indeed from the book. That's The Silence of the Lambs, which came out in 1991. I think many of us will feel quite aged when we realize how long ago that actually came out. The next one, Little Women. Um, I mean, been adapted so, so many times. It's based on the 1868 novel by Louisa May Alcott and the the film version that is most critically acclaimed at the moment is actually the 2019 version which was written and directed by Greta Gerwig and that was the seventh adaptation of the book and just in case you may not know the book chronicles the lives of the March sisters it's a 
beautiful, heartwarming novel of um, these sisters, Joe, Meg, Amy, and Beth in Massachusetts during the 19th century. And this particular version of the film that seems to really capture the the spirit of, of that time and the spirit of this, this family, it has an ensemble cast that, that includes, among many others, Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Laura Dern, Meryl Streep, James Norton, Chris Cooper, and um, produced by Amy Pascal, and Gerwig wrote the screenplay, and she actually used Louisa May Alcott's other writings as her inspiration. So she created the script before being made the director, actually. And she, it was actually only the second film that she directed on her own. It uh, premiered in December 2019. And it, it received critical acclaim, particularly for her screenplay and direction, as well as for the cast. And it got six Academy Award nominations, including for Best Picture, uh, Best Actress, and it actually won for Best Costume Design. So that's Little Women, the 2019 version. We're talking about books being adapted into film versions today, and there's lots more to come. I love it. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. It's great to be back, and you're listening to People of the Book. I'm Janice Leibovitz, and today we're talking about films that have been adapted from books. Do you love them? Do you hate them? Is there one in particular that you think is a really, really great adaptation of a book that you love? Is there one that you particularly dislike that you think was really badly done? Um, Whether you love them or hate them, Books are always going to be made into films, and there are some that have been really, really well done and really well received. So we're talking a bit about that today. One that that was really, I, I particularly really enjoyed it. I must admit, I haven't read the book. I did love the film, though, and it's Silver Linings Playbook. It was a 2012 American it was billed as a romantic comedy drama film, but it was so much more layered than that. It really was a film about mental health issues, and it was such a touching, touching movie. It was written and directed by David O. Russell, and it was based on a novel, a 2008 novel by Matthew Quick. The film starred Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, and it also had a quite an amazing support cast, which included Robert De Niro and Jackie Weaver. And it takes place in Pennsylvania. Bradley Cooper played a character by the name of Patrick or Pat Solitano Jr., a man with bipolar disorder who's released from a mental health facility. And he moves back in with his parents, played by Robert De Niro and, and Jackie Weaver. And he's determined to win back his estranged wife. He wants his life to go back to what it was before he was admitted to this mental health facility. But he meets a young widow, Tiffany Maxwell, played by Jennifer Lawrence, and she offers to help him get his wife back if he enters a dance competition with her. And the two become very close. They develop this really touching relationship. And along the way, she helps him examine his other relationships, particularly the relationship that Pat has with his father, 
and they also learn to cope with their own personal situations. And the film came out in 2012, significant critical acclaim, particularly for, for Russell's direction and for Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence's performance. It, it received eight Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture and Best Director. And it became the first film actually since 1981 to be nominated for all four acting categories and for the, actually the big five of the Oscars. Jennifer Lawrence won the Academy Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role. She became the second youngest Best Actress winner. And it was a huge success at the box office. It grossed over $236 million worldwide. That's Silver Linings Playbook. And uh, yeah, maybe one day I will get to read the book. But as I say, a really a beautiful, touching film and apparently quite a good adaptation of uh, Matthew Quick's 2008 novel. Moving on to something totally different, Bridget Jones's Diary. Uh, for those who've seen it, thoroughly enjoyable. The book is laugh out loud hilarious, as is the film, which kept pretty true to type. And it's a 2001 comedy, romantic comedy, directed by Sharon Maguire. The screenplay was written by Richard Curtis, Andrew Davies, and mm. Helen Fielding, who wrote the original book. And it was a co-production between the United Kingdom, the United States, and France. Uh, the actual original novel was written in 1996. And I didn't know this at the time, but it's a, meant to be a reinterpretation of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. It's, the book itself was written in the form of a personal diary, and it chronicles a year in the life of Bridget Jones, a 30-something single working woman living in London. And she writes about her career, her self-image, her vices, her family, her friends, and her usually disastrous romantic relationships. About 2006, uh, 10 years after it came out, The book had sold over 2 million copies worldwide. It is hysterical. And quite notably, Renee Zellweger, for the role of Bridget Jones, she put on, piled on the weight because Bridget Jones moans quite often in her diary about being overweight. And being the method actor that she is, Renee Zellweger herself put on a fortune of weight to play the role. The film itself is hilarious. The film is so funny. This 32-year-old English single woman writing a diary focusing on the things she wants to happen in her life. It coined the phrase singleton. I don't think any of us had ever heard that, that term before. Um, Colin Firth and, and Hugh Grant play the roles of the two men vying for her affections. And Jim Broadbent absolutely gorgeously plays her loving father he's just too gorgeous and divine and he's just like a big cuddly bear and the film was released in 2001 april 2001 uh grossed over 280 million dollars worldwide and received amazingly positive reviews i think quite surprisingly people weren't expecting that it even was nominated for the academy award for best actress and it's it's become a bit of a cult film Uh, especially it's part of English pop culture 
And Bridget Jones, the character, is a bit of a British culture icon as well. And there's there was followed up by Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, and Bridget Jones's Baby, both receiving their own success, which often doesn't happen with sequels and with follow-up films. That's Bridget Jones's Diary. Uh, really funny books, highly enjoyable films. Uh, really recommend them. And again, now onto something completely different. Hidden Figures, a 2000. 2016 American biographical drama directed by Theodore Melfi and screenplay being written by Melfi and Alison Schroeder. It's very loosely based on a nonfiction book called Hidden Figures, the American Dream and the Untold Story of the Black Woman Who Helped Win the Space Race, which was written by Margot Lee Shetterly. She started working on the book in 2010. And the book itself takes place between the 1930s and the 1960s, where men and women at the time were viewed as pretty inferior to men. And the text follows the lives of Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughan and Mary Jackson, who were three mathematicians who worked as, wait for it, computers. It was an actual job description. They worked at NASA during the space race. And they overcame discrimination there, both as women and as African-Americans. They were promoted into senior executive service for, for work and research into supersonic flight and sonic booms. The book itself reached number one on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list and also won the Annisfeld Wolf Book Award for nonfiction in 2017. And the, the film was nominated for three Oscars. It's received numerous other awards. It had a limited release in December 2016, but then was released widely in North America the following month in January of 2017. The performance has received um, huge critical acclaim. They, they did really well. It stars Taraji Henson, Octavia Spencer, and Janelle Monet, And it's got a support cast of which includes Kevin Costner, Kirsten Dunst, Jim Parsons, I mean, really well-known names. It was chosen by the National Board of Review as one of the top 10 films of 2016 and also nominated for Academy Awards Best Picture, won the Screen Actors Guild Award. It's a really important film. The message is important. And I think it took a long time to gain recognition for the message that it gives overall for the role that women played in the space race that nobody actually knew about, apart from the fact that these were African-American women who were actually, they worked separately from everyone else. They didn't work. Their, their work wasn't integrated with everyone else who worked on that, that initial space mission. And the film is, is, both heartbreaking and, and a celebration of what they achieved. So the book and, and the film, Hidden Figures, the book being by Margot Lee Shetterly. Um, there's another book. I know the book is quite well known and I really have to thank Lindy Wadnicki for mentioning this. I don't think that the film went on general release because all the, the information that I found about it only said that it was released, a film released for 
for television, and it's The Memory Keeper's Daughter. It was a novel by Kim Edwards, and it's, it tells the story of a man who gives away his newborn daughter. The story is that on a winter's night in 1964, it's, it's not a true story as far as I know, Dr. David Henry, Henry is forced by a blizzard to deliver his own twins and his son, born first, is perfectly healthy. But when his daughter is born, he immediately notices that she has Down syndrome. He rationalizes that as a need to protect his wife, Nora, he makes a split decision that will change their lives forever and decides to give this baby to his nurse to take away and put into an institution and never to tell that secret. Carolina Nurse, however, decides that she is going to take this child and raise it as her own. And the story unfolds over the next 25 years and these two families obviously don't know what has happened. Caroline raises her daughter and Dr. Henry and his, his, his wife, Nora, together with their son, who, who they, they've kept, carry on with their own lives. And the story unfolds, the two separate families living their lives. And apparently this novel was adapted into a TV film um, for Lifetime, Lifetime Television on April the 20, April the 12th, 2008, um, a cast that included Dermot Moroni and Emily Watson. And I think it was the most watched film that week on Lifetime Television, if I'm not mistaken. That's the memory keeper's daughter. Cannot do a show like this without talking about the big franchises. And as Michelle Marcelson says, the only franchise that has ever got film adaptations from books right for her is the Harry Potter franchise. She said, every other film just leaves so much to be desired. They leave everything out and they just can't get it right. But for her, Harry Potter really gets it right. I've been privileged enough to visit um, the, the Harry Potter studios overseas. It is just fabulous. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, but I have to single out one of the Harry Potter films in particular, and that would be the third film, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which came out in 2004. The Harry Potter films are distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures. They are, of course, based on J.K. Rowling's books. But this one in particular was the first one to be directed by Alfonso, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his surname correctly, Cuaron, Cuaron. Um, the previous two were directed by Chris Columbus. He did produce this one together with David Heyman and Mark Radcliffe. The screenplay was written by Steve Cloves. And it follows on from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. As I said, this one is the third installment, starring Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter, Rupert Grint as Ron Weasley, and Emma Watson as Hermione Granger. And uniquely, this is the only Harry Potter film that does not feature he who shall not be named 
Lord Voldemort. The film itself um, started, it took on a bit of a darker twist. There was, they started using extensively more real life locations and the sets were built more in Scotland with scenes being shot in London. It was the second highest grossing film of 2004. I actually didn't find which was the highest grossing one. And this one in particular, as I said, was was quite a standout film where it started to take that darker turn, started to, the shiny edges came off, that shiny veneer of magic and sparkles started to, to loosen around the edges and it really started to take on a lot more depth and when it comes to the Harry Potter films they are all about the depth and the layers and the messages and this one just really started to take it up to a whole new level so I mean you can watch these Harry Potter films over and over and over again it's never enough This one is the third one, as I said, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. They just get it right. Fabulous. But now I'm going to go on to the next franchise, which I just don't get. And I know I'll probably be shot down for it. The Lord of the Rings. I couldn't, I couldn't watch them and I couldn't read the books either. They're divided up into a series of three epic fantasy adventure films they're directed by peter jackson i know they're epic i know they're fabulous they're huge they are i I do love the scenery they're beautiful based on the novels written by um jrr tolkien and they are broken up into the three movies subtitled the fellowship of the ring which came out in 2001 the two towers in 2002 and the return of the king in 2003 what I found fascinating was that the three films were shot simultaneously. I didn't know that. found that very, very interesting. And, I mean, that schedule must have been brutal. Can you imagine? Um, shot entirely in, in Peter Jackson's native New Zealand from October 1999 until December 2000. That's over a year of brutal scheduled filming. Must have been amazing. One of the biggest and most ambitious film projects ever undertaken with a budget of $281 million. Um, For those who don't know, it's set in a fictional world of Middle Earth following the hobbit Frodo Baggins as he and the Fellowship embark on a quest to destroy the One Ring to ensure the destruction of its maker, the Dark Lord Sauron. It's worth watching for the scenery. I cannot follow what goes on. I don't know what happens. It's got a fabulous cast. Elijah Wood, Ian McKinnon, Liv Tyler, Viggo Mortensen, Kate Blanchett, John Reese davis I mean, it's just Orlando Bloom. He has to be mentioned. It, it's just, it, it's endless. But, yeah, it is endless. The, the films are endless. And as epic and amazing as they are, I'm sorry, but I just can't. You're listening to People of the Book. We're talking about films that are adapted from books, and there is still more to come. I love it. 
This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. You are listening to People of the Book. I'm Janice Leibovitz, and today we are talking about films, movies that have been adapted from books. Love them or hate them, they're always going to appear on your screen, big screen or small screen. And up till now, I've been talking about adaptations that have been done really well, that people have enjoyed well. Most people have enjoyed, they've received lots of positive critical acclaim. But unfortunately, there are always those that just don't seem to get it right. And they really bomb, both critically, reviewer-wise, box office-wise. And some of them are just Marmite films. Um, If you don't know what a Marmite book or film is, it's, you know, some people love it, some people hate it. There's just not really any in between. Um, one of those is The Girl on the Train. And it came out, the film came out in 2016. It's an American mystery psychological thriller. It was directed by Tate Taylor. The screenplay was written by Erin Cressida Wilson. And it's based on the really, really popular 2015 debut novel by British author Paula Hawkins. The film stars, among others, Emily Blunt, Justin Thoreau, Luke Evans, and Lisa Kudrow. And it follows an alcoholic divorcee named Rachel who becomes involved in a missing person investigation. Um, Not anyone she knows. It's just people who she happens to see every day while she's sitting going past in the train for me what i just couldn't get past was that the book was based in london and the film for some reason was based in new york and i i couldn't i just couldn't get past that i'm like why why would you do that it was the first film to be distributed by universal pictures as part of um, the dreamworks they, they did a new distribution deal um, via their company, Amblin Partners, and it premiered in London in 2016, and then in, that was in September, and then reached the States the following month in October. It was actually a box office success, uh, grossed $173 million worldwide, but it did receive mixed reviews. And although Emily Blunt's performance received widespread widespread acclaim and received nominations for Outstanding Performance by a Female Actor in a Leading Role at the Screen Actors Guild Awards and also a BAFTA Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role, it it just, the, the reviews were mixed. And I think that moving the location just, it ruins the atmosphere. It does something, it, it detracts from the original story and for people who love the book. And I mean, this was a, a huge bestseller. It was one of the biggest bestsellers of that year. And it's still spoken about. It, it just, it just took away something. You can't make something based in London and take it and just move it to another city. Interestingly enough, little fact that I found, there was a Hindi language remake of the same name that was released this year with Bollywood actress Pariniti Chopra in the starring role. I found that quite interesting. So that just really actually tells you how popular the book is. The book itself is, it's, it reached cult status. 
So, but the film just lacked. It just didn't do it. Another one, and I want to thank um, Juan Paul Burke. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Thank you for mentioning this one. Dune. Uh, 1965 Frank Herbert novel. It has been created and recreated numerous times. It, they just never get it right, do they? And you mentioned the, the film that I remember. I think I actually, I don't think I saw the film version. I think they broke it up into a TV series. And I think this is the one I saw. Um, the 1984 version directed by David Lynch. Um, it starred Kyle McLachlan in his film debut. And if you look at how young he was back then, wow. Um, no screen version of Dune has been acceptable up until now. And as, as Juan Paul says, he does encourage people to read the book first before seeing any screen version. I tend to agree because this the book just gives so much detail and fleshes out any gaps that you might find in a, a screen version. Um, anything in, in June is open to interpretation. It's the story is it's a science fiction story. It's about a young nobleman by the name of Paul Atreides. It's set in the distant future as science, science fiction tends to be. And it's the story of the conflict between rival noble families as they battle for control on a harsh desert planet by the name of Arrakis, which is also known as Dune, the title of the, the book and the film. The planet is the only source of the drug Melange, which is called the spice. It's vital to space travel, which makes it the most essential and value commodity in the universe. And Paul Atreides is the heir to, to one of the families. And it's, it's all about the conflict and also huge. The 1984 version had this ensemble cast, including Patrick Stewart, Dean Stockwell, Jose Ferris, Sting, Linda Hunt, Max von Sado. Also, the names just go on and on. The film was an absolute box office bomb. It grossed $30.9 million from a $40 million budget. I mean, negatively reviewed by critics, heavily criticized for screenwriting, wasn't faithful to source material, pacing, direction, editing, just pretty much most of it. Although visual effects and musical score acting and action sequences were praised, found very interesting facts about this. Um, Lynch disowned the final film and he said that uh, pressure from producers and financiers restrained his artistic control. He took his name out of the credits. It was replaced by a name, Alan Smithy, which is a pseudonym used by directors who don't want to be associated with a film that they'd normally be credit, credited for. And in the television versions, um, also, they credited writer Lynch as Judas Booth, Judas Booth. It does have a cult following. And incidentally, there is a new version coming out um, later this year. So we shall see if they get it right this time. 
Um, I think that's very brave and very ambitious of them to try for another version after all the other ones have just managed to get it wrong time and time again. Another one I have to mention briefly, P.S. I Love You, a 2007 romantic drama based on Cecilia Ahern's book. It went on and on and on forever and a day. It was awful. I did have a migraine when I went to see the film. I loved the book because I love Cecilia Ahern's book. But the film is just a no-no for me. It carries on and on and they just didn't get it right. They just did so much wrong. Just no, don't go there. We're talking about books being adapted into films. Should they, shouldn't they? Whether they should or they shouldn't, they're going to do it anyway. And there's still more to come. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. You're listening to People of the Book, and we've been talking about books that are adapted into films. And just before I wrap up, I thought I would give you a couple of films, movies that will be coming out, adapted from books. There are still a couple to look out for that are coming out this year, coming up at the beginning of next year or towards the end of next year. The first one is House of Gucci. It looks amazing. Um, it's an upcoming American biographical crime film. It's directed by Ridley Scott. I mean, anything directed by him is bound to be amazing. It's based on the 2001 book, The House of Gucci, a sensational story of murder, madness, glamour and greed by Sarah Gay Forden. And it stars Lady Gaga as Patrizia Reggiani, who was tried and convicted of orchestrating the assassination of her ex-husband and former head of the Gucci fashion house, Maurizio Gucci, portrayed by Adam Driver. It also stars Jared Leto, Jeremy Irons, Selma Hayek, and Al Pacino. I mean, it sounds sensational. That lineup, that cast is incredible. It's scheduled to release in the States on November the 24th this year. So look out for that. I'm not sure when we'll get it here, but that sounds absolutely incredible. Um, another one to look out for, if you enjoy Jojo Moyes, The Last Letter from Your Lover is a 2021 British romantic drama film directed by Augustine Frizzell, written by Nick Payne, that's the screenplay, and Esther Spalding. It's based on her 2012 novel of the same name, starring Felicity Jones, Callum Turner, um, Shalene Woodley. And it's set in two distinct timelines following two women, a 1960s housewife, Jennifer Sterling, and a modern-day journalist, Ellie Hayworth, and how both of them become intrigued by a letter they accidentally discover. It was actually released on Netflix in select territories in July, end of July this year. I'm not sure if we have it here in South Africa on our Netflix. Take a look. We might have been lucky. It might be there. Believe it or not, another version of Death on the Nile is out. Um, just trying to look. It's coming out February next year. It was delayed. It was meant to be out this month. It was meant to be out last year, October. But it's been delayed and it'll only be out next year, next February 2022. 
Death on the Nile, yes, that original 1937 novel by Agatha Christie. Um, this one's directed by Kenneth Branagh with a screenplay by Michael Green. Amazing cast. I mean, these films always have these lineups. Um, it stars Branagh returning as Hercule Poirot, along with Tom Bateman, Annette Benning, Russell Brand, Ali Fazal, Dawn French, Gal Gadot, Rose Leslie, Sophie Oconedo, Jennifer Saunders, Letitia Wright. And it's a third screen adaptation of this. Look out for that in February 2022. Blonde is coming out. It's based on the novel by Joyce Carol Oates, based on the life of Marilyn Monroe. And that should be out also 2022. It'll be on Netflix. And last but not least, The Nightingale, that very, very popular book by Kristen Hanna. Um, about two sisters struggling to survive and resist the German occupation in France during World War II, starring two sisters, Dakota and Elle Fanning, should be out um, only late next year, December 2022. I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope there's some films adapted from books that you might enjoy. And until next week, take care of yourself, take care of each other, wear a mask, get vaccinated and read a book.